Okay, the next question um, comes from Polly, and there are several elements to it. So if I leave something out and I don't make it clear enough, please uh, let me know, Polly. Is it also, in Tom's opinion, always fear that causes us not to do or try something? And this is in uh, reference to living everyday life. Should it be filled with fun and joy? Should we concentrate on the things that are best for our growth? The question is, should our life be full of fun and joy, and should we concentrate on things that are best for our growth? Well, of course. Yes. I think I'm missing some part of the question there. What? The first part of the question was, um, is it always fear that causes us to not do or try something? Yes, usually it is. I don't mean to be so obtuse in this and into these questions, but I, I do get... The, the video or the audio is kind of in and out, and I hear bits and pieces of it. Uh, so if I get off and answer the wrong one, just interrupt me and, and put me back on course because I, <laughs> I'm in a little trouble with the with the audio here. Although Donna's audio is, is better than than others. Anyway, this fear would get you uh, off course. Uh, yes, that is fear is the opposite of love. You know, so we break. Our directions that we evolve into, into the you know, toward love or toward fear. Fear is the problem. Fear is the is um, expressed as ego, and often is expressed as belief. So when you say ego is the problem, that's the same as saying fear is the problem. Belief is the problem. Beliefs are limiting. It's usually not always, but usually fear is what's limiting you. So yeah, fear is, is the main thing. But now when we talk about fear, we're not talking about what many of us think of as, as fear. We think of, oh, I'm afraid of, you know, uh, walking through the bad part of town at night. Well, you know, that's not, that is a fear and that is limiting. But people, people have a way of confusing being fearless with being stupid. <laughs> Those are two different things. Um, if you don't walk through a bad section of town at night, that doesn't indicate that you're not fearless. That indicates that you're not stupid. You see, you should have you know, carefully assessed what you should be doing and shouldn't be doing and what might be high risk and low risk. And if it's high risk, you should only take the high risk when you really have to. In other words, when there's a high gain that's, that's worth that risk. So you don't take unnecessary risks. Um, that's not doesn't mean that you're not fearless. I'm not sure if I'm making a point here, but uh, people will tell me sometimes, well, what do you mean fearless? If I was fearless, you know, I'd walk in the woods, and if I saw a bear, I'd run up and kick him in the shins and tell him to get off my path, you know, because I'd be fearless. No, you wouldn't be fearless. You'd be stupid. You say. If you go walking in the woods where there are bears, then uh, you have already computed that you're very unlikely to see one. And if you do, you have a plan. You know how to act. Do you keep eye contact or do you break it? Do you run or do you back off slowly? You should have some knowledge to deal with those things before you go into the woods. And it's, it's fear that gets you into trouble. Because if you have a lot of fear and you see the bear, then you lock up. You get tense. You send off the odor of fear which uh, entices a, a meat eater, a, canoe, a carnivore, to, uh, to uh, approach you. Um, you uh, 
do those things that are counterproductive to your survival. Whereas if you're fearless, you know what to do. You take the action that optimizes your chance of survival and you have a, you know, it's more likely that you will survive because you're fearless. It's not that, that um, if you were fearless, you know, you would walk up and punch the bear. That would just be, if you were stupid, you would do that. So let's not confuse being fearless and, and being stupid. Uh, being fearless is always more survivable than being fearful. And yes, most all of our problems come from, well, all of our problems, this is so most, all of our problems come from fear in one way or another. But the fears that, that get us most are fears of being inadequate, fears of being uh, um, unlovable, fears that people won't like us, fears that we're not as competent as we should be. Uh, it's all those fears that point at negativity to ourselves and to others, fears that other people are you know, picking on us, that other people will do this or do that. You know, that's the kind of the fear of the victim, right? That uh, all of these fears are what create our limitations because now we uh, do things differently I'm sorry, uh, this is Bali. Uh, if I may interrupt you, uh, maybe I can have a, I can give you an example of, of really what I was uh, asking about. Can you hear me well? Yeah, I can, I can hear you mostly. I get dropouts, but so far I'm with you. Okay, uh, let's say I have uh, a, let's say, very free environment. Uh, I have a lot of paid vacation waiting for me. I have uh, resources to let's say, travel or let's say uh, drive fast cars or stuff like that. And I'm not interested in that. And my question was whether I'm really afraid of those things or whether uh, it is possible that I'm really not interested and there's no fear in that involved. You're saying how do you make that determination of what, what is fear and, and what's not? Again, that's like how do you make the determination of um, you know whether it's the information you get is you or, or not you. It's a difficult thing to do. You have to understand yourself that no, if if it's a fear, then you have you trace that back and say uh, you know what is the fear? Why don't I want to you know travel and drive fast cars and you know what's the reason for that? And if you think about it and you feel about it. And the reason is, well, I just don't have an interest in it. Well, then that's not fear. You just don't have an interest in it. It's not something you uh, want to do. You don't find that on your path to, uh, you know, to growth. It's just kind of like wasting your time in your viewpoint. Then I'd say that doesn't sound like fear. What if you say, well, I could do those things, but if I did, um, Maybe I'd get hurt, or maybe I'd do this, or maybe I'd do that, or I can see that I could get addicted to where that's all I'd want to do, and I, they would occupy all my time, and I'm afraid I would make bad decisions. Well, maybe that is some fear then. And uh, maybe uh, if you did that anyway and then didn't make the bad decisions and did use them uh, responsibly and didn't strut around your fancy you know, car or whatever and, and you didn't let it hurt you, puff up your ego, then maybe you could learn something from having them. It depends. There's no black and white sure way to determine that. You just have to decide if it's if why it is 
that you do or don't want to do something. And if you can't decide, if it's, well, I'm not sure, well, then take your best guess and go on. And it may become clearer later. But if you don't see any reason, if you don't see any way that there's a something negative attached to it, then it's probably not fear. It's probably just you have no need for that. You don't have to go there. So I'd look for something negative, a negative feeling, something that uh, may, gives you anxiety or something that is, uh, you know, anger something like that. Thank you. So if I understood correctly, one way would be, uh, of course, to go into a meditation state and uh, work on it for some time to see really what is behind uh, my feelings, uh, to see my feelings behind this not interested attitude. And the other one would be uh, maybe to have a look at how fast I can come up with uh, rationalizations of what, why I shouldn't do it. And then maybe this would indicate some fear. Yeah, those would be tools that you could use, but in the end, you will have to just take your best guess and go forward. So you don't want to let any of that, the, the ability to not tell, you don't want that to become paralyzing. You don't want to say, well, I'm not going to step out and do either because I'm not sure what it is I'm doing. Until I know for sure what I'm doing, I won't do anything. That's not really a very good idea. What you need to do is just move forward. Say, all right, this is the best that I can come up with. I've meditated. I've thought about it. I've done that for a couple of weeks. I'm not getting any closer. Then here's the way I think it is. And then you just go. Start experiencing. Because the more experience you get, the more forward you go with it, the, the easier it's going to be for you to decide whether it's something you should be doing or should not be doing, because now you're beginning to see the results of it. Where is it taking you? So um, don't let it paralyze you. See, that's the problem when the people uh, have, the, have the first interaction by telepathy, and they get paralyzed right at that spot, rather than going on with, for the, with their experience. They take, they, I can't tell. I don't know whether that was me and my imagination or what. So they stop. They can't take the next step. The, it, uh, their inability to tell becomes paralytic. Don't let that happen. Just go and pay attention to the results. That generally will very quickly tell you whether you made a good decision or a bad decision. You get a bad decision, you can always back up. And because you're aware and looking at the results, you won't make you know a whole string of bad decisions. If you decide, okay, well, I'll just, I think the best thing for me to do is buy a fast car. So you buy it, and then you find out that you're flaunting your ego, and you're driving around because you want people to see you in the fast car, and you say, uh, probably wasn't a good idea. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Now I'm going to have to outgrow that so that uh, you know, that doesn't uh, lead me in the wrong direction. So don't let it paralyze you that you don't know. Make your best choice. Go with it and stay aware. Thank you very much. There was one last question by Polly also. He could probably better express it since it's to do with very individual um, personal experiences. He wants some advice on what he's experiencing, uh, or rather, what advice can you give him on what he's experiencing in his explorations in the larger consciousness system? Polly, if you'd like to elaborate a little bit on that. Yes, 
Sure. Thank you very much, Dana. So okay. uh, basically, what normally uh, I hear from, or let's say, there's this term, uh, a hypnagogic uh, hallucination. And it, uh, in my uh, understanding, describes uh, different sorts of uh, visual inputs uh, or auditory inputs, olfactory inputs. Can, can you hear me well? Yeah, I, yeah, the dropouts are minor. I'm getting most of it. If I, if I get confused, I'll ask you to, to repeat again. Okay, thank you. So and basically, uh, after some time of meditating regularly, I started to perceive different uh, new inputs uh, with my closed eyes, either visual or I, I sensed uh, space, spaciousness, or uh, I sensed utility of something which then emerged out of uh, the dark space. And basically, I wondered what this is and uh, whether I should uh, try to uh, dismiss these uh, inputs uh, in my uh, effort to uh, reach the point consciousness state or the where, whether maybe I was uh, I'm getting too far behind the uh, point consciousness state into some sort of uh, non-physical reality where I either create those impressions or I get them as a let's say not ordered data stream what's your uh, impression of that okay. in order to come up with a you know, real definite guidance. I need to know all the details, but in general, you don't know initially where something might lead unless you follow it and find out. This whole process has to be an experiment. It has to be something that you that you do to find out. Okay, so let's say that you're in a meditation state and suddenly, uh, you know. Being a white light, you know, appears before you, well, just go with it. Where does this experience take you? So you become one with it. You know, find out, well, what is it? You might ask questions. Who are you? You know, why are you here? Uh, what do you have to do with me? What do I have to do with you? What shall I learn here? Or it may just all be intuitive, and you may just uh, go to that being and, and immerse yourself in it. Let's say you feel vibrations, and suddenly your body is elastic. Well, rather than, than say, oh, no, I'm shaking the part or something, go with the vibrations. Become one with the vibrations. Uh, experience them. In other words, you have to experiment with whatever comes up. If you get the shapes, will these shapes lead you someplace? If you go to that shape, will it move away? And then you go to it, and it'll move. Are you, are you to follow it? Well, follow it. See where it goes. You don't need the answers ahead of time. Experiment. It's a, it, that's why it's a long process. You may experiment with certain sorts of things. Maybe it's the being in white, and it may not go anywhere. You may not get anything from it. And then ask yourself, well, how else could I approach it? What else could I do? You know, okay, I tried just becoming one with it, and I got a feeling, a sensation there, but then that was it. Um, maybe I'll try uh, talking to it. Maybe I'll try something else. And just experiment, see where it goes, because the larger consciousness system will sometimes, you know, want to interact with you and will give you little come-ons, like things to get you involved, and you can't just sit back and look at them all and say, well, I wonder what I'm supposed to do with this. I wonder what I'm supposed to do with that. Just do it. Go with it. Let your intuition guide you. Tell your intellect 
to sit down and be quiet. Let your intuition tell you whether you should become one with it. Uh, ask it questions, uh, you know, whatever. But experiment. You don't know until you get involved. It's not a, this is not like, a, you know, touring a foreign country in a tour bus where the guide, you know, points out to you, well, now here's this and here's what you do with that and here's these other things. You have to, you have to explore and experiment. And sometimes you'll get involved with things and they'll lead you to a blind alley and you'll find out there's really nothing there. That was just, you know, kind of a waste of my time. And then next time you see it, you might explore that too. And it's also a waste of your time. And the next time you see it, you just may ignore it. And then eventually you ignore it, it just goes away and you don't see those anymore. You don't know until you get involved in it. So don't expect to work this with your intellect. The intellect wants to know, what is this? What should I do with it? You know, you're looking for a prescription and, and instructions. There are none. Just involve yourself with whatever comes to you and see where it leads and see if it leads someplace that's valuable. Is it a new experience that you've never had before? Can you learn from it? What does it mean? And don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to say no. If something wants to lead you someplace and you just don't think it's a good idea, then just say no. Uh, you're going to have to convince me that that's a good place to go. So uh, unless you convince me, I'm not going. If that's what your intuition tells you. Or you may be more adventurous and you're willing to go anywhere with anybody to see anything. Just because once you get there, you can always come back if you want to. You don't have to. You know, there's nothing scary that's likely to happen to you. You can always come back. So I'd say anything that happens to you, explore it. See where it might take you. Because you, if you try to judge it ahead of time of what its value might be, you're just creating another barrier for yourself. Thank you. Uh, maybe I can, uh, let's say, focus uh, my question uh, in this way. I've uh, written for myself like five uh, different things uh, or different op options what I can do with uh, those impressions those this in this state. And uh, I've tried to eliminate those or explore those exactly as you, uh, you described and also as you described in other videos. I try to play with it, uh, try to be as much scientific as I can be. Um, and uh, so far I just noticed then that uh, when I tried to just observe and not really try to participate in uh, any scenes or any any interaction uh, then uh, I sometimes had uh, let's say out of body experiences mostly I am maybe with 70% uh, of my consciousness uh, with my body I feel my body but still I with the remaining 30% I'm with the imaginations or those impressions, either visual or auditory or otherwise. And uh, in those rare occasions where I try to uh, just be an observer and uh, to see what I can learn, uh, it uh, happened that I was sucked into uh, some other reality and I completely left my body and uh, I was aware of everything that was happening. So. Would you say that maybe this is a sign for me to uh, pursue this uh, sort of activity of trying to be an observer or 
isn't this uh, in your opinion a good way how to reach the point consciousness state Yeah, do what works. Do what works for you. And things that will work for you may work for a while and then not. So always be open-minded that it, that it might change. But just follow the path that seems most productive for you at the time. And uh, don't worry about what you might be missing by not doing something else. There's always plenty of time to come back and do that too. So take a long-term view. If you are having better, more productive experiences by being a, an observer, then be an observer. If you have better, more productive experiences by participating and getting involved and becoming one with whatever comes in front of you, then do that. But it's there is no single right path through this process. Everybody finds their own their own path. Thank you. And so, uh, if I try to reach the point consciousness state as uh, really a void uh, where I just uh, when I'm just floating, um, I, I would say that then I maybe it's not on my path to reach this state if I always perceive some sort of data stream, uh, even non-physical. Or it, it may not be. Now you may. You know, it, it, this may not be something that you need to do. You know, that may be you're going to skip that step. You're going to go right to uh, something else. So you don't have to you don't have to go there first. You know, that's a that's a way that a lot of people do it, but you don't have to do it the way anybody else does it. You need to find your own way. And being in the point consciousness state, where where you're just a point of consciousness floating in the void. That's a nice, energizing, uh, very relaxing and pleasant place to be, but maybe that's not where you need to be now. Maybe you need to be doing other things. So if you need to go there, you'll end up there. Have confidence that, that uh, you'll end up where you need to go. But this is a long process, and you may find that you work this way for a while, and then you work that way, and there may be a time that you always go to point consciousness first, and there may be a times that you just skip point consciousness. You don't need to go there first. It's very, it's very individual. So just go with what works, and uh, don't feel like you're missing something or should be doing something else. Just figure that you'll do everything. All those something else's that you might be doing, you'll get to that later, maybe, if that's on your path. So as long as you're doing something that's productive and something that's useful, then pursue it. Thank you very much, Tom. You've been very helpful. Okay, does anyone have any questions on any of the subjects today that Tom has answered? All right. I, I would, would you be... Go ahead, please. Sorry, Luna. This is Bali again. I'm sorry to really hog this line so much. Um, I have uh, had one idea on a previous topic about uh, having uh, negative entities having influence on people. Um, it seems to me that uh, it is always best to have a positive uh, model of reality, meaning anything is a opportunity and a possibility to learn. And uh, I've uh, noticed in my um, vicinity 
people who are having different models, like for example, shamanistic model, where there are uh, demonic entities or curses. And uh, I can explain maybe one, uh, one situation with two models exactly the same. It, it, it's, it seems valid, but one model uh, where I, let's say, perceive some enemies uh, may cause uh, creation of more fear. So would it be the case that a model uh, without enemies, so to speak, is always a better model, of course, still being uh, open and skeptical? Well, maybe and maybe not. Um, if you have a model that has enemies in it, that may be a model that will teach you fearlessness. You may be that you have fears and that you need to be able to face that monster. You know, let's say the monster is the enemy. It's the thing that looks like it, you know, has two heads and sharp teeth and it's going to, you know, it's going to kill you. And you need to just stand up and face it and deal with it. And a model that has monsters in it may be what you need to help you become fearless. On the other hand, if the monster makes your fear just worse, then that's not a model you need because now it's pushing you in the opposite direction. So it depends on on you, what you need. Now there are various models. If you get into a model where adversarial things are a natural part of that model, okay, you're going to, you said a shamanistic kind of thing, and you're going to be in a model where struggle and fight and whatever, battling is part of the model, then if that helps you deal with your fear, fine. It may be a useful model for you. But once you do deal with your fear, I think you would let that model go. It's not really productive struggling with things just because that's the way your model perceives the nature of reality is probably counterproductive and probably very limiting. And you can't go very far in that kind of model because then fear and struggle become you know, kind of a part of your reality rather than an exception to your reality. And I, I would think that's very limiting. For the most part, I've noticed that people who are in models that uh, are like that, they're pretty limited in what they can do. Now, they can do some, some really neat things, but they're limited. They don't really see big pictures. They're kind of stuck in a smaller picture, even though the picture's not not the same as our, our virtual reality. It's a different kind of a reality, but they kind of get stuck within the structure of, of that sort of a reality frame. So mostly, uh, after you've gotten the, the fear thing gone, then I wouldn't think you'd have a need for things that were scary anymore. You wouldn't have a need to stand up to your fears, and that would that would go away. But whether it's something you need now or not, well, that just depends on where you are now. Is it, is it uh, productive for you, or is it more of a, uh, you know, a lot of ego can be displayed in battles where, you know, you fight, and you win, you subdue them because you're stronger and better and cooler and niftier than they are, and a lot of that can just be ego stuff and uh, have really nothing to do with, with uh, anything other than, uh, than ego. You know, you're the, super, you're the superhero in the adventure. And there's a certain amount of ego satisfaction in that, but it's it's not real productive. Okay, 
Um, thank you all. Um, if you'd like to be involved in a healing experiment that would correspond with our subject of focused intent, um, let me know. I'm going to leave a message on the um, chat line and let me know and we can have some feedback on how that worked next time. Is there anything else from anyone else? Yeah. Um, I'm wondering. And that's about taking the long view of the process of meditation and about the value of getting into quantum consciousness. Maybe you're not ready to go there. Maybe that's not going to be a value of you. But is it valuable to carry on meditating so that you're going to reduce, um, you know, reduce the noise? And Donna, will you repeat that? I could I could hear her well enough to tell that it was Dagda, but I couldn't really understand what she was saying. I, you know, I couldn't. It was breaking up here. If you could just uh, repeat the question one more time, please. Can you hear me now? Yes, better. Okay, so um, it's about the value of going to point consciousness. Maybe. Someone's not ready to go to point consciousness, and that's that's great. I've got that. But is there value in still meditating to reduce the noise? Maybe you're not ready to get to point consciousness. You don't need to do that right yet. But should someone still, should people still just try to reduce the noise anyway? Because that helps to reduce the limitations. Um, yes, they they should. Um, if you don't achieve a point consciousness state, that's not a, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. You will, you will eventually get to wherever it is you need to go. Okay? And don't try to have somebody else's experience. Just because somebody else goes to point consciousness state all the time and that's where they start, don't feel that you have to do that, that you have to emulate somebody else's experience. Um, it is good, though, in general, just for anything that you're doing, that you should eliminate the noise in your in your consciousness. So if you just immediately go off into something or you observe something or you go off into some sort of adventure and you're not bothered by noise, the, everything is perfectly clear and straightforward. It's not foggy. It's not, uh, you know, you don't have any noise issues. Well, then that's good. Just because you didn't go to point consciousness doesn't necessarily mean that you've done it wrong. Um, but if you do have noise, no matter what you're doing, you should be constantly working on that. You should be able to have an intent, a thought, and keep it crisp and clear and focused for you know a fairly long time without having stray thoughts run through your mind to interrupt it and break it up. So if you can do that, then go wherever you need to go. You don't have to go to point consciousness. You don't even have to meditate if you can get rid of the noise in your mind. And generally, you should be aware of the noise. If, if you're in a conversation and you can't quite hear it or you're doing something visual and it's foggy or you um, uh, get interrupted a lot, then that's noise. 
if everything's perfectly clear and um, you know, your visuals are clear, your sound is clear, everything's clear and it's sharp and you don't have jumbles going on, then you don't have to worry about noise. You're doing noise just fine. If when you're healing, you're totally focused on what you're doing and you don't have anything else going on in your consciousness other than that, then you're focused well. So if point consciousness isn't on your, your path, then that's okay. You don't have to go to that state if it's not something that's useful for you. All right, does that conclude our, our session? Or does anyone have anything else? Yeah, I have one more thing. Um, when, uh, let's say you, you might become aware of uh, some negative entities meddling uh, with those who may not be aware uh, of their influence upon them. Uh, if you are aware of it, should you step in to maybe like put up a shield or kind of defend them from these outside influences or you know, let them experience it themselves for their own benefit? Well, the answer to that would be if you think that their experiencing for themselves is going to be a benefit, if it's something that they, they need to uh, interact with, if that's a challenge for them, that they need to deal with that, then leave it alone. If you don't think that, if you think uh, it's something that they are just out of their depth and it's causing them problems, they're not meeting that challenge, they're being overwhelmed by it, then uh, be cautious about what you do and that you don't want to just, you know, you, you never get violent until violence is the last resort. You always try other things first before you, before you bully and push. But if it gets to that, then be aware that it might get to that, and you're raising you're raising the uh, you know you're raising the stakes. You know, like any argument, you know, if you and somebody else are having words, and he says something to you, and you say something back, well, it might just stay there, or it can escalate, and it can escalate to the point where there's nothing left other than other than a violent conclusion, and the violent conclusion. Uh, has to be a final conclusion, you know. So now the now it's gone from an argument to a you know, what would you say, you know, to till um, you know you're going all the way with it. Only only one of you is you know going to walk away from it. That sort of thing. If you get to that point and you keep escalating, you have to be aware that you may be digging a hole for yourself deeper and deeper. So that's the thing. But if you think that it's wrong and it shouldn't be like that, please have a conversation with them. Ask them to stop and try to do other things and escalate just as slowly and carefully as you can. And if push comes to shove, then it will become a force versus force and it will be a matter of you having enough force to overcome whatever force they can bring to the table. And that's just the way these things play out. problem for anybody, but generally you don't use force if you don't have to. You use conversation. You negotiate. You try to find out why and what's going on and why are they doing that. And uh, you uh, may try to point it out to the larger consciousness system if you think it's some kind of violation of a rule and let somebody else take care of it. 
but eventually if it's something you have to stop because you're the only thing between them and doing something wrong then you then you stop you step into that spot and after that the chips fall where they may and it'll work out however it works out but if you have to do it then that's what you do that's um you know, I don't know what your situation is, but if it's if it comes down to where you know you have to escalate because it's something you can't let go, then you just do it. We're now unmuted. Okay, thanks, Tom. This Bobby again. Uh, if I may, there is one other uh, comment uh, to this analogy of going uh, into the larger consciousness system and uh, uh, well this discussion regarding negative entities that we can uh, meet there uh, you said that uh, well if we are not consciously trying to go into the larger consciousness system we're still uh, going outside somewhere in our dreaming state isn't that true and yes. if so thank you and if so uh, is it um, Possible that we are actually going some in, into some far places in this dreaming state, which would basically uh, be as far as we would go normally uh, in our experiments. And with that, I will say I want to say is uh, there may not be so much difference between going outside in our dreaming state and in our experiments. Is that uh, somehow true? Somehow true? No, they're both. They're pretty different. Now, they have their similarities. Okay, They're both in a different reality system. But most of the time in your dream state, um, it's, it's not so much like you're exploring that you have control over what you're doing, where you're going, and how you react to it. You do have control over how you react in your dreams, but not over the other things. So the dream is often a situation that's given to you, and then you have to interact in it. Like all of a sudden you're surrounded by this, that, or the other thing, and here's the situation, and it's like you've been put right in the middle of a plot, and there, there it is. Now deal with it. You know, what are you going to do? What kind of choices are you going to make? And those kinds of things are, are lessons. You know, you're back in school. They're, they're giving you opportunities to interact in ways that are productive rather than not productive. And the good news is, is that if you make the wrong choices and it's not productive, well, it doesn't really change things here in the virtual reality. So it gives you a chance to mess up without having a, a major uh, uh, feedback from that in this reality. So you do it in the dream reality where you don't get a lot of negative feedback from what you do. It's kind of a safe place to go try out some, some things a little more dramatic. Whereas the, the out-of-body can be similar to that, but you're more in control of the outer body. You're making decisions about what you do, where you go, and how you do it uh, than you do with the with the dreams. And it's generally not just put in a scenario, but you create, you build the scenario yourself in out of body, whereas it's often handed to you in the in the dream state. But now, if you do lucid dreaming and you become lucid in a dream. Now it's very much like an out-of-body because once you're lucid, you can use your intent to do what you will, to interact in a, in a, larger, in a larger framework, in a larger reality. Whereas if you're just in the dream and you're not lucid, 
you kind of work within the framework that's that's given to you. It's more of a, you know, when you're when you're in a, a dream, it's more like you're in a classroom. You're in a different kind of a school, and then when you're out of body or lucid dreaming, you're out. You know, it's recess. You go out on the playground and, and uh, kind of do what you want. So they are different. They have similarities, but they're they're, uh, they're different things for different uh, reasons. The out of body gives you more free will choice in what's happening, and the dream gives you free will choice, but only within the context of the scenario that you find yourself in. So we have more protected in our uh, sleep dream state and also within the small pockets of uh, virtual reality we create for ourselves in uh, lucid dreams. Is that a true statement? Did you, your first words were more protected there? Is that what you said? Yes. Yes, then that, that is true. Yes. When you're in your dream reality, you're, you're in a protected, you're in the schoolroom. And the schoolroom uh, protects the students that are in there for learning. So they... Uh, that's that's true, and mostly uh, mostly that's true. And and uh, anything that kind of happens to you, you tend to be in a in a protected state where you're in charge and are out doing it on your own. Then you're more on your own. You know, things out on the playground can sometimes get a little rough. You know, you might run into a bully out there. Um, you might stub your toe out there. Whereas as long as you're in the classroom doing uh, your lessons. It's a pretty safe place to be. So does anyone have any more questions? Uh, yeah, I have a question. Please go ahead. Uh, do you have any tips on how to build willpower up? Mm. That's very similar to how do you, how do you uh, develop focus. Um, Willpower is usually a big problem when you're trying to convince yourself to do something that you don't really want to do. People who, let's say, uh, want to quit smoking, if, there's, if the reason they're quitting is because they think they should, because other people find it annoying, because it's a social problem now, or because they just realize it's not healthy, so they think they should do it, they have a lot of trouble with willpower. It's very difficult for them to do it. They have terrible withdrawals. They really want to have a smoke in the worst way and hold things excruciating and difficult because they don't really want to quit. They just think they should. If they're doing it from an intellectual reason, the willpower seems to be lacking. They, they try it, and they've tried it ten times, and it never works. They always go back. If you get to the point that at the being level, at the fundamental level, you just don't want to do that anymore, then you find it so much easier, you find that you don't have the withdrawal symptoms, you just walk away from it, and it's done. And that's because you are committed. You really want to, at the core of your being, not do this anymore, and you just stop. And the people that do that, are the people that have very few withdrawals. Their willpower seems to be ironclad. They walk away. They're not tempted. They don't pick up another drink. They don't pick up another cigarette. They're just done with it. So the difference 
one is a very weak willpower and the other is a very strong willpower, usually the difference is commitment at the core. If you're really committed at the core, then willpower is powerful. If you're not, if you're just doing it because you think you should or, or you're talked into it or you've talked yourself into it or you know, some other reason that you're coming up with why this is a good thing to do but you're not really committed to it fundamentally, then willpower seems to be impossible. You keep backsliding and falling away and, you know, what I want to do is I, I need to lose 50 pounds. But there's a part of you that knows that's a good thing to do. There's a part of you that says it's not healthy to carry this 50 pounds around. I really need to do it. But you really do like to eat and you don't really want to give any of that up and so on. And you're not really committed at a, at a fundamental level you'll find it's very, very difficult to do it. it uh, you just keep backsliding and it doesn't quite work and, well, I'll just have a piece of cheesecake just this, just this time. You know, it's just once, won't hurt. And you make up excuses and you have all this other stuff going on because you haven't really come to the decision at the core of your being to change. And that's mainly where the willpower comes from. So if you just can't get the willpower, it's because you probably aren't really committed to the change. Once you're really committed, I think the willpower is generally there. So it's those things that we think we should do rather than the things that we definitely want to do. Well, I've, I've had periods of time where I was committed to the change, but um, as soon as I slip up, all <laughs> willpower just seems gone. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're probably not as committed to the change as you think. There's some part of you that still enjoys wants or is afraid of quitting or whatever it is that you're doing, there's some part of you that isn't that committed to the change. Otherwise, your willpower would be, would stay strong. You know, often we talk ourselves into things. It's, I want to I want to quit. I want to lose weight or I want to quit smoking or something. And we get all worked up and, yeah, I'm going to do this, rah, rah. And we kind of get ourselves psyched for it. But at a deeper level, we still want to do those things. You know, at a deeper level, you're still attached to that cigarette making you an important person, being an adult. Say uh, a lot of people smoke because they, um, you know, advertising convinces them that, uh, you know, if you were a real man, you'd smoke a cigarette. You know, you'd be the Marlboro man. You see, you'd be uh, this or that. So they have, you're not an adult, and the adults smoke, and the children don't. Children are allowed to smoke, so you want to smoke because that makes you feel big. It makes you feel an adult. You are kind of a real person if you're a smoker, whereas non-smokers are like children, you see. And you have these fears. They're not in your intellect, but they're back at the, you know, they're in your being level. They're not, uh, they're not out where you can necessarily see them. But there's a part of you that doesn't feel as important. It doesn't feel as significant if you don't have that cigarette, you see. And if that, if that part of you doesn't really want to let go of it because they don't want to feel insignificant. They like that cigarette gives them a certain coolness that otherwise they don't have. And that part doesn't want to stop. So that's why that's where the, the willpower then disappears because there's some part of you that uh, – that needs that cigarette or needs that size. Maybe there's a part of you that wants to be big for some reason. You know, um, there's reasons for, for, for being a big person. And that 
those reasons are still there. You don't want to let that go. Then you sabotage yourself and you make up all sorts of excuses. And that's the thing. So I think you find that if you if you psych yourself up, that's all intellectual. But there's other stuff under the hood that you're not aware of that doesn't really want to make that change, and you're not committed to it at that at that being level. Well, thank you, Tom, and thank you, Oliver and Justin, everyone who helped out with this and and brought the questions forward. I think the server is going about to kick us out because we've taken up the three hours, so it looks like we have to wrap it up. Okay. Well, it was good. I, I thank everybody for coming. It's been a, a lot of fun. We talked about some interesting things. The audio thank you. as we've had before. Um, I've, I've got this little uh, thing here, my volume, and when one person talks, I run it all the way up, and then Donna talks, I run it all the way back down, and, and <laughs> sit down with the audio and drop out some Usually we haven't had that problem. Maybe next time we won't either. But um, it was good enough. We were able to talk. I think it was a big success. I hope you folks feel that way too. That was fantastic. Yep, that's great. Thank you very, very much.